Thank you, church family. I am so honored to be here and be a part of this church. I want to be um, everything that God wants me to be, and I'm grateful for all of you because Paul said that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And the word workmanship, workmanship is uh, the Greek word where we get our word poet. It's also used in the classical Greek to describe a masterpiece. We are all being built together as masterpieces. We are also, according to Peter, living stones. And all of us came to City Harvest as a living stone, and we are being built into a spiritual house. Uh, some of us came here broken, battered, bruised, cracked, jagged, sharp, and some are just plain weird. <laughs> some are burnt, and some of us are smooth. But all of us needed the Lord, and we all are being placed in this spiritual house together. God is building a masterpiece and we are the masterpiece. We are the living stones that make this building possible. And I thank all of you for being a part of what the Lord is doing in my life. And hopefully I am being uh, used to help build you into what God wanted you to be when he created you. I'm grateful for all of what everything that the Lord has done for me. I want to wish all the mothers and the mothers-to-be, the grandmothers, the great-grandmothers, the foster mothers, a Mother's Day. It is a great day. We have an awesome job. We get to train the next generation. We get to nurture them in the fear of the Lord and how to have a heart after God. It is an awesome responsibility, but God will give us the tools to do it. For those of you that don't know me, I am uh, <clears throat> one of the leaders here in City Harvest. I've been here for 20 plus years. I came here in 2001, uh, the first time uh, as a single woman. And I married one of the elders here at City Harvest. Uh, I am a mother, a grandmother, a great-grandmother, and many call me Granny. Uh, I have the privilege of raising three children and being the stepmom to two wonderful children. Dave and I blended our families, and we had five children, 13 grandchildren, 27 great-grandchildren, and they're not finished yet. <laughs> <clears throat> I started out single. I got married, uh, was divorced, was a single mom for 12 years, and then I remarried, then I was widowed, and now I'm just single. <laughs> About six months after... Uh, my husband Dave went to be with the Lord. I began to ask the Lord, what is my future? What do you want me to do? 
what am I going to? I was in the, my late 60s, so it was, I was too young to just quit. And I didn't feel like that I was ready to leave my children and my grandchildren. And I believe the Lord dropped in my heart after several weeks of praying this, the word next. And I struggled with it because I didn't know what it meant. It took me a few weeks, maybe you know, a few months, to meditate on the word and find out what the Lord had for me. And I believe he said it was the next assignment, the next anointing, and the next understanding of authority. I'm still working on some of that. Uh, the part that I do understand is my next assignment. I believe that I have an assignment to pass on to the next generations that are following me the tools to accomplish their assignment and their mission in life. And I uh, take the example from the book of Ruth. There, uh, most of the time we hear the story of Ruth, but I want to talk about Naomi. Naomi was... Uh, married and had two sons. They were living in Bethlehem. And they, could you dim that light right there just a smidge? <laughs> it's blinding me. <clears throat> Thank you. And Naomi and her uh, husband decided to flee away from this famine that was going on in Israel. And they went to Moab. When they got to Moab, they lived there for a, a, a number of years, and her husband died. And then afterwards, her two sons married Moabite women, and then they died. So we have three widows, and they, uh, Naomi decides to go back to Israel because there was food in Bethlehem. So her and her daughter-in-law start out to go back. Well, one of the girls decides to go home, but Ruth decides to go with Naomi all the way to Israel. And on their way, just to give you a picture, it's 1,800 plus miles from Moab to Bethlehem. There are no hotels. There are no gas stations. There are no rest areas. There's nothing for shelter, for food, so they have to carry everything that they own and everything they're going to need on this trip on their back. Then they have to deal with all of the um, bandits along the way. Um, since they arrived in harvest season, they had to have started in the winter. So they had the weather to deal with. By the time they get to Bethlehem, Ruth uh, and or Naomi is not even recognizable by her family and her friends. So her hair must have been messed up. Her clothes were filthy. Her shoes must have been worn out. And she must have looked a fright to the people in her hometown. And in the process, after they get settled in, Ruth decides to go and harvest wheat for her and Naomi to survive. She just happens to go to a field 
and the field is Boaz's field. She gleans, she's recognized by Boaz, and she's blessed by Boaz. And he tells her, don't go to somebody else's field. Stay in my field, and my men will protect you. And she, was, she found favor with the owner of the field. Then as time uh, goes through the harvest time, they come to the end of the season, and Naomi realizes that Boaz is their kinsman redeemer. And she also realizes that she has the responsibility to take care of Ruth, to make sure that Ruth has a future. So she coaches her through the process of making Boaz aware that he is the kinsman redeemer. Up to this point, he's been oblivious. And she could have taken him into the street in the marketplace and shamed him for not taking care of them. But she didn't. She went at night through the coaching of Naomi, laid at his feet, and when he was disturbed during the night and realized she was there, he said, who are you and what do you want? And she said, I'm Ruth and I want you to cover me. You are the kinsman redeemer. God always has a redeemer. He has had the redeemer plan from the very beginning. So in the, uh, as they come to their um, conclusion of knowing what to do, Boaz marries Ruth. Ruth has a son. His name is Obed. Naomi gets to raise this son and nurture him. So her Future was better than her past. Uh, Obed had a son. His name was Jesse. And Jesse had a son, and his name was David. Ruth's new mother-in-law was Ahab. Uh, not Ahab, Rahab. So when you see the lineage and the blessing that God placed on that family... We have an opportunity to pass on to our children and our children's children to the next generations to make sure that they have all the tools that they need to accomplish what God has called them to be. And I believe that three of those tools are the gospel, the power of the gospel, the power of our testimony, and the power of prayer. And I want to pass those tools on to the next generation. The gospel is the good news. It's redeeming news. Sometimes when we hear it the first time, we don't receive it very well. Um, the first time I heard the gospel and that somebody told me I was going to hell, I did not embrace that. I, I don't know that anybody would. It was a pretty ugly message. To me. And through Jesus, he died, he was born, he died, he was buried, he rose from the dead, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And through his sacrifice, we have the good news. And the good news is we are redeemed, we have access to the Father, we have healing, we have deliverance, 
We have provision. We have peace. We have righteousness. We have a covering. We have the presence of the Lord in our lives. And we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus has the answer for everything. He will never leave us. But he does want to be king. So accepting the gospel will cost you everything. In the Old Testament, the names of God revealed what Jesus was going to provide for us. And it uh, revealed the nature of God. The uh, Seven of those names, uh, most of you are very familiar with, and I may pronounce them different than you do, coming from the South. Uh, Jehovah Shammah means the Lord is present. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Ra means the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner or my covering. Jehovah Sitkanu, he is my righteousness. Jehovah Rapha, he is my healer. All of this was looking forward to what Jesus was going to do in the New Testament. Uh, there are other names in the Old Testament that reveal the goodness of God. And I loved uh, studying those names. And it would be a great Bible study for anybody that has uh, any kind of uh, misunderstanding of what the Father is, who he is, and what he's done for us. The gospel confronts us, and we have to choose to either accept, reject, or ignore. Um, receiving the gospel and walking with the Lord is the greatest adventure you will ever have. But it will cost you everything. We come as we are, but the Lord doesn't leave us that way. Sometimes we lose friends. We may lose a job. We may lose a business transaction or a deal. We may lose a lot of things. And in some parts of the world, you even lose your life. But it is the greatest adventure that you will ever experience. The second tool I want to pass on is our testimony, our story. Revelations 12, 11 says, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. My understanding of this verse is that we overcome the enemy of our soul when we testify personally of what God has done for us. What the word says we are. And there are three elements in this verse. It's the blood the word, and our testimony. In Exodus 12, we have the story of the first Passover. They were to kill the lamb outside the house, put the blood in a basin, and then go gather some flower, wildflowers called hyssop and dip the hyssop in the blood and paint it on the doorpost. And the blood would cover them and the uh, angel of death would pass over them. In the New Testament, 
I heard the phrase, under the blood, uh, plead the blood over your life. And I, I asked the Lord, I said, how do I do that? I don't understand. And I believe the understanding he gave me was that the testimony, our testimony, paints, dips into the blood and paints the doorpost of our lives. And it paints over us and the enemy cannot get to us. We are safe inside the house. An illustration of the power of our words. That, uh, in Montana, in the 70s, there was a professor that had, did an experiment. He wanted to understand what affected the brain the most in our lives. And long story short, he went through the five senses and he found out that our hearing has the most impact on our brain. And the faster the sound uh, affects the brain, or the faster the sound, the more effect it has on the brain. And the fastest sound that gets to your brain is your own voice which gave a new meaning to the verse in Hebrews that says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing, and hearing the word. So our testimony builds our faith as we speak it, and it builds everyone else's faith around us. The action of voicing and agreeing with what the word says about us brings us into a higher level of relationship with the Lord, and it applies the blood to our lives and brings us into a safe place. It must be personal. It's something that we have experienced. It's something that we do. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew, and he was quoting from Psalms, we build strength through our story. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. What is my story? I started out in a divided home. By the time I was grown, I was crushed, oppressed, spiritually blind, and made a captive. My earliest memory of my dad was kicking me down an aisle in a theater. The next memory I have of him is a drunken rage and my mother trying to protect us by barricading us into a room. When I started to school, I was afraid of my own voice. I never answered the role. I never answered the teacher. I never talked to anyone. I even had aunts that went to school with me and I wouldn't even talk to them at recess. When I was 16, the doctors told me that I would never conceive or have children of my own, which shattered my dreams, and I got mad at God. I was date-raped at 19, and my response to all of these offenses was to get mad at God and blame Him for everything. And during that time, I made so many self-destructive decisions about my life. One of them was I married a man that had no, I, 
no interest in the church or the Lord or any part of Christianity. The Lord, in his mercy during that time, gave me three children. And I went back to the same doctor that told me I would never have any. And he delivered two of them. (laughs) And after 11 years of doing this destructive behavior, I was losing my mind. And I came to a place of total surrender to the Lord. And I said, Lord, if you're real, according to what your word says, you need to reveal yourself to me in a way I can understand. I've made an absolute mess out of my life. But if you can fix it, you can have it. And I have never looked back. He began to fix it. I started in Matthew, and by the time I got to Matthew 7, seven chapters, I don't know how long it took me to read them, but I read it in several different translations, and I needed the Lord to reveal himself to me, and he did, and how valuable I was. I was more valuable than the sparrows. I was more valuable than the flowers. I was more valuable to him than just about anything. And I began to realize that how much he loved me. And as I progressed through the word, I got to Luke chapter 4. And he began to open up to me what he came to do. And in Luke chapter 4, he said, this, well, context of what happened in Luke chapter 4, Jesus was coming out of the wilderness full of the power of God, and he was going around preaching and teaching at every place they'd open the door for him. And he ends up in his own hometown, and he, they give him a scroll, and he opens the scroll to Isaiah 61. And he begins to read. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. The gospel is very powerful. It will change your life. Then he says, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. The word in Greek for broken is shattered. And the heart is Cardia, where we get our word for heart. My heart was shattered. My life was shattered. Then he said to preach deliverance to the captives, and I was a captive. Some people are captives because of what others have done to you. Some people are captives because of what you're doing to yourself. Jesus came for both. He has the answer for both. And it's freedom. We don't have to be captives. When I was meditating on this scripture way back when, the Lord showed me myself sitting in a prison with wires in front of me. And he said, Sandy, the doors are not locked. You can come out anytime you want to. And I began to come out of my prison. 
Then he said, and recovery of sight to the blind. I was so spiritually blind, I couldn't see the truth. And to set at liberty all those who are oppressed and bruised. The word bruised means cracked or broken or wrecked. And I was a wreck. And to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, which is, I believe, jubilee. Total freedom to all who are in prison, who are enslaved by anything. All the debts are paid. Can you put that slide up? The Japanese have an art form where they take broken, shattered vessels and they put them back together with gold and silver and platinum. So their finished product is more beautiful, stronger, more durable, more useful than it was before. As the Lord puts us back together, we are the restored, the repaired, the set free. And we have a testimony, we have a story that will impact everybody around us. We are beautiful, we are redeemed, we're stronger than we were before. I look around the room and I know some of your stories. I know how God has put you back together. I have watched you grow. I have watched you be more valuable and more precious to the Lord as the years have gone by. You sparkle, you shine, and you have a lovely story to tell. God has placed us in this place, his workmanship, we are his masterpieces, and part of that masterpiece is being rebuilt. We are living stones that we help each other fit into our place in the body of Christ. We don't have to be outside. We don't have to be alone. We don't have to be broken anymore. If we go back to Isaiah 61, uh, starting in verse 4, it says, They shall build the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the waste places. Who are the they? Who is Isaiah talking about? Who are the they in this passage? It's us. It's our story. We are his masterpieces. We are living stones, and we can turn this city upside down with our story. Verse 6 says, we shall be called priests. Peter talks about that a lot. Verse 7, instead of shame, we will have a double honor. In verse 9, our descendants and our offsprings will be known as those whom the Lord has blessed. Verse 10, he has clothed me with salvation and a robe of righteousness. 
There are so many blessings in this passage of Scripture if you realize who the they are and apply it to your own life. Take the hyssop of your testimony and paint it over your house, over your situation, over your children, over whatever circumstance comes at you. The third tool that I want to talk about is the power of prayer. There are many forms of prayer. Uh, usually, um, we want to t- petition the Lord for something. But there is a prayer of repentance, deliverance, worship, practicing silence, healing, intercession, and many more. And I highly recommend Jan Stahl's uh, Tools of Prayer Workshop. It will be an experience. I have prayed over my children, my grown children, and my grown grandchildren, and my great-grands. And I pray several different prayers. I usually start with uh, Joel and Acts 2, and asking the Lord to pour out his spirit on them, that their eyes would be opened, that they would have a revelation of who God is and who they are in God, that they will be released to complete their plan, uh, God's plan in them. And I ask the Holy Spirit to bring correction, to bring revelation, to bring conviction, to bring wisdom and discernment. I pray over them and I pray over myself, the prayers that Paul prayed over the Ephesians and the Colossians, that the spirit of wisdom would come on us, that a spirit of understanding and revelation would come on all of us. And when I run out of words, I go to Psalms, And I start reading psalms and praying over them. Uh, Prayer is engaging the Father in conversation. We talk, he listens. And then he talks and we listen. Other times we just sit and enjoy his company. I've had people uh, complain that they fall asleep when they start to pray. Well, I'd like to remind you that I didn't throw my children out when they fell asleep in my lap. It's a good place to be. And I thank God for all of you for helping me to become what I am supposed to be. And I hope that you will be helped by me to become what you are supposed to be. One of my favorite prayers is in Psalm 12. Uh, the last verse, it says, for the Lord will bless the righteous and he will surround me with favor like a shield. And I am grateful for that shield. I'm grateful for the favor that he has poured out on my life. And please remember that God's favor is different than our understanding of favor. Mary was highly favored of the Lord, but her husband wanted to divorce her. The town wanted to stone her, and she was branded as um, a woman having a baby out of wedlock. So the favor of the Lord may look different on your life and on my life. There are people that look at my life and say, 
I don't see any God's favor there. But he has blessed me. All of my children are serving the Lord. All of my grandchildren have had an opportunity to make a choice. I have a couple that are, are not making the right choice. But they're high on my prayer list. And they are marked for the Lord. I'm asking you to agree with me in prayer and ask the Lord to seal this in our hearts. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the privilege of being a part of your family. I ask you, Lord, that you would bless all of us with wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of you and who you are and who we are in you. Seal this word in our hearts, Lord, that we would honor you and give you all the praise and the glory for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.